It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. It's a global sport. Globally, we're so highly regarded with the Opal standing. We've just got to deliver it better, uh, and that's probably where we've fallen down. It used to be the number one sport back in the 90s, and then all the other ones came in and have overtaken us. Christy Collier-Hill is well known across the Melbourne Boomers community and has left a considerable legacy in the WNBL championship team, including a highly invested fan base. Now, as head of the WNBL, we're grateful Christy has joined us again on Shooting the Breeze as we talk about the WNBL postseason and get real on the failure of the league to meet fan expectations to date. In this epic pod, Christy shares her vision and hopes, acknowledging there's a long way to go to rebuild trust with fans and is open about some of the challenges she's facing. We hope this is the start of a new journey with the WNBL. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining my co-host Jacinta Govinda and myself today, it's the head of the WNBL, Christy Collier-Hill, joining us for a second time on the podcast. It's great to have you back, Christy. Thanks for having me back, Paul. Just in a bit of a different role this time. Yeah, it is. Last time you were here, you were the GM of the Melbourne Boomers, and you've now moved into the role of head of the WNBL, which will bring with it a whole bunch of completely new challenges, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were just joking before we started, who would want to do this job in the middle of COVID? Crazy. Um, Yeah, plenty of challenges, which I'm sure we'll jump into. So how did you how did you find that transition from being on one side of the fence to now being on the completely other side of the fence? Yeah, it was very interesting. I think uh, I've, I've said this to a few people, but it's one of those roles that I had joked about with my husband for years, kind of saying, God, I'd love to do that, but I just don't think it'll ever come up. You know, it's one of those roles I think people tend to stick in for a while and and it did come up. It was not ideal timing whatsoever because I was obviously working with the boomers. We put together a pretty good roster, which turned out to be a very good roster. Having yep. them just having <laughs> so uh, I was pretty keen to see the season through with them. I knew it was going to be a pretty good season and I loved working there. I love the club and, and I love everything, you know, it kind of stands for. So, uh, but the role came up and it is something that I, it is something I'm very passionate about, but also something that I think I can have some impact in. So I think like most people, I've always got plenty of things to say about the WNBL. You know, there's a lot of passionate people out there with a lot of things to say. And I've always kind of been one of those people. And I thought, look, I could either sit on the other side of the fence and keep throwing stones, or I could jump over on the other side and actually try and make some change and make the league better in lots of ways. So, you know, is it a smart move or a silly move? I'm not sure yet, but I did. So I put my hand up and and here I am in the role. And then, you know, transitioning, probably one of the easier transitions I think I've had in terms of moving on in roles, but mainly because, I mean, like you, Paul, I I know a lot of people, I had existing relationships with many of the stakeholders that I have to work with, um, both internally and externally. So I didn't have to spend that initial, you know, period of time getting to know people and building. What I am doing is obviously continuing to build those relationships and building them in a different way, but I did have them. So the transition from that side was good and a little bit easier than perhaps other roles. But then, you know, jumping on the other side of the fence from club land and from a, you know, I suppose from a fan point of view and then I suppose seeing how everything's done in the back end, seeing, you know, what works, what doesn't, understanding the challenges a bit more from the inside, I've only been in the role still a few months, but lots of learnings, lots of understanding, 
and plenty of challenges ahead. I mean, it's it's no big secret. This has been, let's say, a season which has had its controversies from the Canberra-Sydney incident at the beginning of the season, forfeitures, cancelled semi-series. You know, look, obviously the fans feel that not feel. I mean, they've they've been quite vocal about the fact that they feel there's not enough transparency from the league and BA. How does this get addressed in a way that is manageable for the league and for competition? Because there is some stuff that obviously just can't be put out there, but still meets the needs of the fans and keeps them engaged and and feeling as though they're getting a reasonable amount of information from the league so they can understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, look, I think it's a fair question and, I've, like I said, I've been on the other side of the fence kind of going, why, what, how, I want more information. Um, so, you know, I think probably coming from club land, I, you know, I understand that. I really do and I, and I understand, you know, I suppose the, the general feeling of people out there. I suppose there's a couple of parts to that. The first is that, you know, there has been a bit of controversy this year. There's been plenty of things that have happened. I think as a league, sometimes you just got to make some difficult decisions that sometimes go in the favour of, you know, one party and and not so in the favour of another. And I think that's okay. I think making difficult decisions is part of league operations and league leadership. And that's something that we'll continue to do. However, I think what we need to do as a league is be much, much better at articulating the problem and then providing rationale as to how we came to the decision that we did. And I think You'll see that at the most, obviously, the, the most recent example was the situation um, with the final series and the COVID impact with the Canberra Capitals game. And yep. there was some information released around that. Um, there was a lot of questions asked from it and just, you know, obvious and, and clear questions from fans and, and people in and around the game. And so what we did, and you guys would have seen it, we, we just put out a, I think it was more of a Q&A, a bit of a, a statement around because there was a lot of questions coming in. And to me, when somebody asks you a question about something and they don't know the answer, it means you haven't provided them the right information or enough information. So I kind of pushed to get that statement out there and I'm glad that we did and people may not agree with what was in it, but what, what was there was rationale behind decision-making and a bit more information and answering the questions which lots and lots of people were asking. So I can't say that that is the perfect response, but... I think we need to do a lot more of that and I'm very aware that um, it's, you know, probably the league hasn't done that incredibly well in the past. So more of that, more of sharing information, more of sharing rationale, more regular updates, more structure around communications. These are all the things I'm kind of learning that we need to improve on um, from a league perspective. And also something I, I also think is that we need to engage with the fans more and ask them questions so I don't think we've gone out in a good few years from the looks of it and and talking to fans about what they like what they don't like what they want and look some of that can help shape some of our decision making and shape some of our communication so the plan is to go out with um, a fan engagement survey within the next couple of months now that the season's wrapped up as well. Okay yeah I think one of the notes that you had put Paul was about like how do we rebuild the trust between the league and the fan base because you know you're probably well aware that Obviously, the WNBL being the longest women's sporting league in Australia, long-standing fan base, very loyal fan base, very vocal fan base as well, um, and probably a few figureheads probably leading that particular vocal and engaged fan base as well online. But there is starting to become a little bit of a a bit of burnout and a bit of mistrust and a bit of throwing our hands in the air as a fan kind of thing. So do you feel like something like the survey is a good starting point to start rebuilding that trust between the league and the fans? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a starting point, but it's, geez, we've got a long way to go. Um, I think there's a lot of components to that. And I think, yeah, the survey is one part of it. Having a communication structure and, and regular communications is another part of that. Just being more clear about what we're doing and more informative and engaging with what we're doing. Um, and that comes, again, comes down to better planning and better structure. I mean, I'm, I've kind of probably been one of those people, long-time supporter of the WNBL, very long-time supporter, and at times kind of throwing my hands in the air going, God, what are they bloody doing that for and why are they doing that and why aren't they doing that? So I get it and I also don't have any problems 
chatting to people about that because they're the people that love the game. They're very passionate about it. Um, I had a chat with Body and Brad on a podcast a little while back and Body was right into it, which was, I said to him at the start, mate, go for gold, ask anything you want, I'll answer it if I can. I'm happy to talk to you because I think it's really important to hear what people like that have to say, people that have been around the game forever, are passionate about it. And, you know, kind of what they're sharing isn't things that, we kind of haven't heard around the tracks and things that people aren't already saying. But I just think it's important, you know, certainly from my perspective as well, to be willing to listen, to be willing to have those conversations, answer questions if you can. If you can't say, look, I don't know, or thanks, you know, we've got to take that on board and we've got to consider it. I think we've got a long way to go to rebuild probably those long-standing fans' trust. I think they're always going to love the WNBL, whether they say they do or not, um, because they are long-standing fans. But we've got to be better. and, and you know, that's kind of the bottom line. And one of the things, um, you know, Paul mentioned earlier that I remember being probably one of the standout moments that was an example between, you know, the, the wrestle between the league and the fans and the transparency was um, with the Sydney Canberra incident that happened in December. I do remember reading a follow-up statement from the chairman of BA uh, referring to an integrity unit who uh, undertook a full investigation and then Um, referred it to an independent hearing panel and look that all sounds great to me on paper it sounds you know it's the the front of like this is how it's being dealt with but then for us we're kind of like well who is this integrity unit who's the independent panel how are they sourced where are they sourced what's the process after that because I think we had a previous episode Paul correct me if I'm wrong I think it was maybe even our much ado about nothing kind of just having a chat episode Mm. it kind of dawned on me that if you look at some other leagues like the nrl when it comes to an integrity breach there's a a process you know who's on the panel you know what the outcome is all that kind of stuff and understandably that's going to be televised more readily because it's the nrl but yeah are you able to shed any light about what's the integrity unit look like the makeup the process things like that because i think that was a big that was probably a bone of contention with some people, with some of the fans, just not knowing the nameless, faceless kind of integrity unit. Yeah, and look, I was I was one of the fans at that point in time and on the other side of the fence kind of saying, <laughs> well, what, is, what exactly does that mean and what does that look like and who are these people and who's making their decisions? So I think that's actually just, in a, just probably a really good example of where we needed to get out there and, as I say, we, Basketball Australia, WNBL needed to get out there and provide a Q&A or just provide a, a background information. There's a whole heap behind it, so I can't, I won't go into it in the podcast, but it's it's not information that is confidential. Um, and so there, there's information that I think at that point in time around that particular item that could have been provided that just would have answered exactly all of the questions that you just said. So there's different levels of of the process and when it goes through that process, who it goes through to, who those people are, what that process entails, et cetera, et cetera. So um, none of that information is confidential, but it's something that, you know, again, I, I, I get it. <laughs> I think we could have done it better. I think we just could have shared some more information. And I always kind of try and think of it like what questions are people going to ask? And if we can answer them, then we should just answer them. Yeah, because I think it was either the CEO or the chairman, I'm not sure which, was quoted as saying, yeah, look, we've got a whole bunch of stuff that we've been working on in the background and we've done a really bad job of telling everybody, which kind of suggested, hey, we're going to come and tell you a whole lot of stuff. And there hasn't been anything that's come since then. So it's almost like there's this, it's a rinse and repeat process where it's like, yeah, yeah, we've got all this stuff and we're going to address it and then nothing happens, and it's almost getting to the point now where people are giving up on the whole concept of something's going to happen. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, well, this – sorry, I was going to say, unfortunately, this goes back to their BA and WNBL. They've got to see a concrete first step or a start to be able to feel like, yeah, it's actually going to happen. Yeah. Like, to be very honest, I think nothing's simple, right? But it's just about communication and it's about communicating the information um, to the right people at the right time. I think as a league, it's not something that's been done particularly well. Look, I know it's not something that's been done particularly well in the past. Can't make any promises, guys, that it'll be perfect moving forward. All I can <laughs> share is that I get it because I've been on the other side and my, you know, my commitment is to try and do everything I can to 
stop the questions. So if something goes out, you guys, and you've got questions that aren't answered, let me know and we'll do our best to answer them. <laughs> okay, so we might just sort of jump one step here in line with this. As we all know, having dealt with the WNBL and BA, it is a very insular beast. It tends to be very inward looking from an outsider's point of view. So there's got to be this in- willingness to engage outside the bubble. How do you turn around? Because that becomes, it's a cultural question then. How does someone in your position try and influence a cultural change to be more outward looking? Mm. Um. I mean, it's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I completely agree that it's an insular thing. I think I would agree that communication hasn't been great, and that may provide the perception that it's an insular thing. However, you know, I can't argue with others' views that that is the perception probably of BA, and that sort of can't be ignored. And certainly, my role is is to come in and make some improvements to that. Now, I can't make improvements to the whole organisation and my role is with the WNBL, but that's, you know, that's where I sit. So in terms of, uh, I'd say, looking more outwardly and being more outwardly engaging, I suppose there's a couple of things on the radar for us. I mentioned the fan survey, but that's just one step in mind. We're developing a new strategy around community and grassroots engagement for the WNBL. So we've started working on that. We've got a couple of workshops in that in the next few weeks. One of the things which I I was talking to one of the general managers a couple of weeks ago, which I found really interesting, and this may come into it a bit, guys, in the last couple of years, but two years because of COVID in this last season and then the season before, obviously, in the hub, two years of clubs not doing any or very, very minimal community work. And uh, we think that's, well, we know that's had a flow-on effect of a lot of things. And I think perhaps what you mentioned, Paul, about, you know, that insularness and not not being outwardly connected and, and not communicating well I got a feeling that may be playing a bit of a part of it because not being great at communicating or not communicating effectively tied in with the clubs just not being out and about at that grassroots level in the last few years hasn't helped from a league perspective at all so so from that side we're, we're obviously we're being proactive in a grassroots strategy upping our communication in terms of putting some structure and plan around it upping our content I suppose doing all of that and then from, you know, from my perspective personally, I've reached out to almost everybody I know in the basketball world since I've started in this role um, that has an interest in the WNBL from a media perspective or otherwise. I'm listening, I'm chatting to people, I'm hearing what they've got to say and where I can, you know, taking some action from that. So, again, I don't have all the solutions, but there definitely are some things happening from a WNBL side and certainly that I'm committed to doing that I think will take some steps in the right direction. Okay. Yeah, speaking of the media too, Paul, do you mind if I jump to that tweet that we talked about offline? No, as a segue? For it. Yeah. So, yeah, just speaking about the media in a sense of becoming, uh, I guess, the WNBL having a bit more of a brand and a face out there. Yeah. I think also that's perhaps what uh, was referred to as the insularly, kind of like if you're already a fan or you're already in the basketball community, Having yes. said that, though, I know a lot of people in the basketball community don't know what the WNBL is and that it was a thing. And I was like, okay, this is an issue. But, yeah, with the in, in a sense of um, the league's obviously just finished. You've got, what, another six-plus-ish months to get prepared for the 22-23 season um, with the plan of um, developing, you know, implementing your grassroots, as you mentioned, and things like that. In a sense of media presence and uh, reaching out to your media outlets and your friends that you mentioned, what are some of the most immediate things that you plan on implementing in the off-season to help build that momentum for the league slowly up until it tips off again in November, December? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously it's actually great that we've got a bit of time up our, I say a bit of time, it's never enough time, but we do, as you say, we've got six months in between um, seasons, which is great. Certainly gives us a bit of, a bit of time for planning and strategy. And then we kind of get straight into it. Look, media coverage is a really interesting one. And I'm kind of always banging on the door about, we need more, we need more, we need more. As a, you know, you guys would know, generally coverage of women's sport is not great. I think it's 10% on any given day of mainstream media coverage is women's sport. God, could you imagine what the percentage of the WNBL is of that? It'd be 0.0 something, not much at all. So it is kind of 
I say with mainstream media, always kind of, I suppose, pushing uphill a little bit. However, <laughs> I'll share with you guys, I literally just got the media report through from the season that we just had about two hours ago. And when I say media, this refers to print articles, online media, new, uh, sorry, radio, TV, et cetera, et cetera. And then, I mean, certainly from the hub season, significant improvement. So our audience reach up 125%, you know, ad value up another 50%. So we had some good growth in the last season from the hub season to this season, bearing in mind that was a bit of an extension as well. But we've just still got a, a really long way to go when we talk about media coverage. So there's a couple of things that are, I suppose, kind of short and immediate term projects to, to try and help with that and then lead us into the next season. The first is that the broadcast of the WNBL, the current broadcast rights and deals, that all finished up at the end of this season. So um, I've been working on that since I started um, with others. And so that project and that priority, which is securing a new broadcast deal for the 22-23 season and beyond, is uh, almost number one priority at the moment. So one of the great things about the Hub was that it actually, as you guys would know, made every WNBL game be broadcast live, which is amazing. Crazy that it took that long, but, you know, we got there in the end, created a new base level for the league. So, again, this year in 21-22, every game broadcast live, which is amazing. And, again, we're just tallying our broadcast figures for the season. The Hub season broadcast reach was 2.1 million and it's I'm still waiting for a few to come through but it's looking likely we'll just tip that for this season which is not a bad result considering COVID and, and all sorts of other things yeah so kind of balancing it out you know with all the considerations but broadcast has an opportunity to really grow the game so however that looks in terms of that broadcast deal my mindset coming into this role is absolute growth in everything that we do at the WNBL and making improvements in everything that we do because I think if we just do what we've always done we'll just get what we've always got which is nice gradual growth um, but we look at other leagues women's pro leagues around the place and they don't do gradual growth they do jumps in growth and jumps mm. in improvements and I think that's what we need to do. So um, broadcast is one of those areas that I'm focusing on and others are focusing on in terms of what does that look like for next season. We have a base level, which is what we delivered this season. Every game broadcast live on KO. We had one game a week on ABC and Foxtel and a handful on KO freebies each week. That's the base level. And so the intent is to deliver an improved uh, and, and a growth element against that for next season. Exactly what that looks like, we're still working through. We've got lots of cards on the table for that, but we can't deliver it. You know, my theory is it has to be growth, even if it's the minimum would be instead of having one game on ABC and Foxtel each week, it's two at, at a minimum. So that's the growth space I'm talking about. But I'd love to be able to do a big jump, right, and do something really great. So we're looking at lots of things on the, I suppose, on the table there for that. Um, on top of that, you know, focusing on commercial, it's a really big part of the league, as you guys know. We've gone through this season with no naming rights partner. So, you know, the league needs commercial revenue for sustainability and growth as well, and that's kind of another big part of it. And then there are a couple, a couple of other, I suppose, initiatives on the table at the moment which we're looking at. We are looking at introducing... I don't know if I want to say this too early, but um, a, a pre-season tournament for the WNBL. It looks like we've almost got some funding from New South Wales government to do this. So, you know, probably don't want to share too much more, but that that is something that we really want to do. And, and so that kind of tied in with the Women's World Cup, of course, which we all know is coming. We kind of think we can really build some momentum if we can. Obviously, the broadcast deal will be the first kind of thing. Well, then obviously some commercial partnerships we need to land some before the next season. We're going to Women's World Cup, hopefully looking at a new pre-season tournament and then rolling into WNBL 22-23. Yeah, I guess the reason why I ask as well is because in the off-season, understandably, it's the off-season, so there's probably not a lot of news to share in terms of WNBL unless you're cross-promoting with the NBL1 kind of league, which which I get, but it still keeps the fire burning. But in the meantime, there's lots of alternative media spaces, you know, podcasts like ours um, and a lot of other online publications that seem to be growing in numbers more and more in terms of different outlets. So do you have a plan? Uh, but, I, yeah, I guess I was inspired by a tweet by Monique Billings, who was the import for Townsville in this recent WNBL season, and she tweeted saying, uh, I know there's a lot of reporters and freelancers who cover our league for free. Mm -hmm. 
So take time to connect with them, get to know them. I know we're busy as players with practice games and such, but if we want to grow the game as players, you have to step it up too. So does the WNBL as a league have any plan to, I suppose, make content and uh, or content opportunities for those alternative media spaces um, a little bit more accessible in the next league? Um, yeah, look, short end, I, look, I love that tweet from her. I haven't seen that. Um, and she's bang on, right? Like I think the only way a league grows, it's not one person or two people or ten people. It's actually everybody that has to contribute to that. And if that means athletes making themselves available to do podcasts or media interviews or whatever that might be you know that's part of it and to be honest they're all you know you guys I know chat to a lot of them they're all pretty great and they're all happy to do it Um, but I think you're right and I think certainly from my perspective since I've jumped on board I've reached out to people who are doing podcasts people who are doing online platforms specifically in women's sports siren sport those types of places I think it's really important to build relationships with that level of media because as we said mainstream media is really difficult to get into to. So certainly it's a really conscious choice of mine to center, which is to engage and reach out to all of those platforms that are covering either specifically WNBL or women's sport and just keep, I mean, the, I've had relationships with a lot of them in my previous role, but, but kind of build those relationships in this space. And already that's resulted in some really good stuff. You know, me personally, I'm like, I'm happy to chat to anyone at any time. So um doing podcasts and doing all sorts of things, it all helps, right? It all just helps to grow the brand of the WNBL, which is ultimately what we want to try and do. Based off of that, I'm now going to take a step back. And this is one of the things that that surprised me during the grand final series. There wasn't a lot of engagement by the WNBL during the series itself. And, you know, obviously a lot of people made a lot of comment about that. How did that come about as a first thing? And secondly, what did you guys learn out of the the feedback from the fans based off what was happening on social media to sort of go, okay, how can we improve to not have that sort of backlash? Yeah, I think that is a really good question and uh, one that has been asked a lot on social channels throughout that <laughs> final series. Yeah, look, the bottom line is we just didn't deliver in game one. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We didn't do what we were supposed to do and we didn't do a good job of it. And uh, we knew it as soon as... The game had finished and everybody let us know um, as well. And then we addressed it for game two. So you would have seen game two and game three significantly more coverage, um, posting and engagement across our social channels, which was what we were supposed to deliver for game one. So, look, there's no excuses for it. We just didn't deliver what we needed to deliver. It's not good enough. And we addressed it for game two and three. And, you know, we'll make sure that we learn from that for future that's all I can really say about that one, guys. And again, following on from kind of the, this sort of engagement stuff. Now, we had all the games on, which was great. It was good to be able to watch games and also be able to go back and catch up on the games that you missed uh, on KO, which was great. Now, there is a pet peeve that Jacinta and I both had during the games. The scores and the clock. <laughs> they would invariably disappear towards the end of the game. But also, they just blank out during games, but it continued through the whole season. Now, I know it is not a simple and straightforward thing, but again, it was one of those things that a lot of people made comments on. Mm. Um, What sort of feedback in terms of answering the question is, do we know what happened or was it just one of those technical glitches or... I've literally only just found out the answer to this a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> so I can share it with you. But look, I'm here. I was watching, I think it was a Boomers Perth game that went into OT in the regular season. One played down in Taralgon down there, and the clock and scores dropped out, you know, right with a couple of minutes, I think it was, to go in the fourth quarter. I mean, as yep. a fan and a fan experience, that you just can't have that happen, right? And I'll share kind of, I suppose, the technical part of the answer first is, the way the score graphic and the clock, and this is, it seems a bit okay, but Paul, you probably understand this, right? The way the score graphic and the clock is produced and shot onto and, and shared onto the screen during the broadcast mm. is there is a camera set up at each stadium which shows, films the actual scoreboard. That then through whatever technology occurs and that actually spits it out onto the screen of the WNBL. Now I say 
lower tiered sports use this method as part of their broadcasts, what I've learned. The mm. top tier sports, the AFL, the NRL, those those types, of, they have another level. There's another uh, a product or, or a way that they do it, which is far more sophisticated, but also far more expensive when it comes to broadcast. So we do it with this method. And I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not funny. But so sometimes when the clock and the score would drop out, um, somebody's walked in front of a camera, somebody's knocked a camera over. So there's three reasons, that, that, or it does rely on internet connection at stadium and there's been internet connections at stadium. So whilst I, I don't want to make excuses at all because it's frustrating as hell when it happens, I did learn that that is, I suppose that's kind of where we're at as a sport and where we're at with the broadcast until we are commercially in a position where we can use technology that the likes of the AFL and the NRL use. That's kind of where we're at. Okay. So we need to we need to protect the cameras in some kind of very stable bubble <laughs> with a velvet rope around it, just saying, "People, can you please not come and walk in this area. You know, precious cargo here. It's very important." I yeah. We can we can maybe hire a couple of very large NRL players and have them stand yeah. on the side of the camera and say, "Stay <laughs> <Absolutely>. away." <laughs> yeah. I will say though, with the broadcast, I'm really really glad that. The broadcast did make improvements as the season went on in a sense mm. of providing a halftime show, providing some content for halftime, not necessarily game chat but also video content. Mm. Come finals time, you had some really excellent commentators like you had the panel of three, including Carrie Graff. And she was, I mean, I might be a bit biased, but I really enjoyed Carrie Graff as a commentator. Mm. So, Carrie, if you're listening, can you please <laughs> do some more games? We <laughs> all appreciate it. Um, um, yeah, so I have to have to commend because at the start of the season I was like, yes, it's on KO. This is great. Um, can watch it, whatever. Come halftime, nothing. Yeah. Like, oh, what is this? But honestly, I was really, really happy that that part of the programming improved. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can't. This is a podcast, right? So I'm shaking my head because I absolutely agree <laughs> with you. I used to watch the games and then, you know, the halftime, eight minutes of staring at a court and you're like, oh, what is going on? Um, so there was a couple of things that we did in the back half of the season, which you just mentioned. Um, we actually engaged with the clubs in terms of bringing in content from their sponsors and partners to provide some value to them. So I don't know if you noticed, but you would have seen some adverts from the likes yep. of the University of Canberra and Townsville and Melbourne and things like that, plus them bringing in content at halftime. And then, as you say, towards the final series, bringing in not one but two people on the desk. And I agree, Graffy is sensational in the commentary yep. box. Absolutely. Um, would love to see her do more. But, look, I think I think the whole broadcast, particularly of the final series, we, when we had the three on the desk, I think it was excellent. And I think from a viewer perspective and an engagement perspective, the calling, the delivery, the, the halftime, as you said, it was really a step up from what we've done throughout the season. So I think they did a great job of that. I, I suppose there's so much to, to talk about uh, in relation to what we can do to try and improve the engagement. One of the things that I found that, look, it frustrated me a little bit, was in the middle of this whole process of, you know, COVID and this is happening and, you know, COVID protocols, we wanted to find out what the COVID protocols actually were. Yep. Still to this day, I haven't been able to get something to, that says, okay, this is what our COVID protocols were because there were always lots of questions. Oh, you know, what happens with this? What happens with that? You know, there was a lot of a lot of back and forth where people were giving opinions on what they thought the the COVID protocol should have been. What sort of mechanism can we kind of look forward to maybe having where we can get that sort of information? Yep. Look again, I think it just comes down to simple communication. And I in the final series, there was a finals hub on the WNBL website where we did include a summary of the COVID protocols. Now, the COVID protocols for finals was a 48-page document, so um, certainly that's not going to be <laughs> shared publicly. But, <laughs> but providing a summary, which is what we did and which is, I think it's even still on the website, I think is what we have to do, Paul. And then, you know, for people like yourself that want to read the document, you know, happy for you to have a look at it. It's not I, a confidential I wasn't necessarily after 48 pages, but it was like <laughs> the short the short form version because this was pre-Christmas um, yeah. when I think some of the games, you know, got dropped because of the various COVID protocols yeah. and some people were asking, oh, what's oh, the various yeah. protocols? And it was like, okay, 
what are they? Don't know. <laughs> Couldn't get it. It was yeah. it was kind of like I'm sure they're there. They must exist, but just being able to to latch onto it, to be able to sort of go through it, and be able to also respond when some of our listeners yeah. were asking the question. You know, that, that's the sort of stuff that I think is really critical to rebuilding that that trust. With yeah, the I agree. And look, I agree. Um, and look, a good example of that, which is this free agency, we'll have an announcement going out about free agencies, but just with probably a bit more information than we've provided in the past publicly, which is a bit about there are salary caps. Um, there is a minimum number of contracted players you've got to have. So a bit of information that's not you know, not confidential, but certainly we can share with people like yourselves who mm. are passionate about the league and would just love to know that stuff. And I don't think we've shared that level of detail previously. And I think it's really important that we do. And that's, you know, get just another example, Paul, of where, you know, probably the COVID stuff in the regular season should have been shared. And that's, that's the kind of stuff too that it's not for everyone that in kind of information, but no, there's definitely a pocket of fans that like that information because it gives a whole other level of fan engagement. People are talking salary caps. You know, there's different like fantasy leagues and stuff, which is another way if you would consider WNBL Fantasy League online, but we'll park that. We want to run it to Cinder and we can do it. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Um, But, yeah, like, yeah, salary caps, contracted players, having that level of insight of how, you know, remembering that the league is essentially a business as well. Yep. You know, you have to run it as a business for the product that we want and that we enjoy. But having those intricate details, yeah, will create a lot more conversation and things as well. So Yeah, yeah. and that's that's really what I want to try and do. And I just, you know, I've been a fan myself as well and I've always kind of went, well, what is that? Is there a salary cap? Well, what is it? How many, you know, just just general things that I think people that are interested, really interested. So there's the, the hardcore fans, I think, you know, they're the people that love that sort of stuff. Um, but it's important to provide that information, you know. I think, you know, your fringe fans probably not so much, but then information that they'll consume is very different. So, yeah, look, I just I just want to provide more. I think it's important that we do that. Um, so, again, I'll say to you guys, if, there's, if you've got a question or you want to know something, let me know. I'll make sure that if I can, I'll share it. And my favourite time of a season uh other than finals time finals time you know is always exciting is free agency period i love free agency period in any league uh i just i don't know i just love seeing like the different swaps and changes and trying to think okay so meg mckay had a great debut season at townsville then decided to go to bendigo and then bendigo started to feel their with a brand new roster and just seeing the movements of oh like i love free agency i get really over it's exciting, and now I get like an inside scoop on it, and I like it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, you asked before, just into about you know what we cover in the off season. Obviously, free agency is a big part of that, and so then obviously there's all the player movements which we'll cover and promote. But then also we've got lots of WNBL players that are playing in the WNBA, so we'll be covering that. Really exciting this year. The NBL one stuff, the WNBL players that are scattered throughout that, and then we move yep. into Opals and World Cup. So there's plenty of content from a WNBL perspective for us to keep interest and to keep some momentum as as we lead into that next season as well. I'm going to go to the to the end question first before we go back to something else. What are your key short, medium, and long term goals for the WNBL, and what sort of impediments are you forecasting you might run into? And look, that way it's good for us to understand because also we have a very strong interest in making sure that the league is successful because we're fans first and foremost. Mm. If people come to us and ask us questions, we want to be able to say, hey, well, you know, yes, they have forecast that this could be an issue and they are thinking about it and, you know, hang five. There's going to be answers coming back. Mm. You're asking the tough questions today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, look, I've got, you know, I've said this to a few people and I, and I say it all the time, it sounds super cheesy and I'm so far from that type of person, but I absolutely 
my vision for the WNBL, probably the same as you guys, is that it's the best women's professional league in the country. I think that's the lo- that's the long term vision for it. So it has the most amount of viewers on broadcast, the best broadcast deal, most members, most fans, great mainstream media coverage. We're not at the moment. You know, we're eclipsed by netball and AFLW and the cricket. So we're not, and we've got some way to go. But that's long term. That's where. That's where, you know, that's where the league deserves to be, right? Product-wise, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. It's a global sport. Globally, we're so highly regarded with the Opal standing. We've just got to deliver it better, Uh, and that's probably where we've fallen down. used to be the number one sport back in the 90s, and then all the other ones came in and have overtaken us. But shows short-term perspective. I think I mentioned, so broadcast deal absolutely is priority. And commercial, so key sponsors is absolutely priority. And then the other thing really implementing for 22-23 is some, you know, probably saying loosely, an increase in professionalism in how we deliver our game day. I think um, if you guys have been around the country and seen different game days, there's a real range of standards and there's uh, a lack of consistency in brand as well. So we're going to implement some, um, I say minimum standard documents, but documents that we agree upon with the clubs about how we'll deliver our game days around the country. You know, Sydney, for example, have really upped their game when they get up to kudos there and they've got it with the Kings. And then they go back to Sydney Uni, nothing against Sydney Uni, but it becomes a, a community basketball game to a degree. So we we really need to think about things like our venues where we're playing, our game day presentation and our digital promotion. So they're kind of the three key areas in the short term to sharpen up our game day delivery across, I suppose, season 22-23. And then probably thinking a bit longer term, kind of that, that medium term stuff, digitally from a league perspective, I'm sure you guys would agree, we've got a lot of work to do. So digital strategy around website, app production, which I, I hear has been in the works for years, but we haven't got it off the ground. Um, and also, the, you know, potentially an OTT platform where we own our own vision and, and how that might be able to grow as part of a broader Basketball Australia digital strategy. That's definitely something that's kind of a media term thing. League expansion, I've spoken about to a couple of people, that's definitely a, a medium term thing as well. There's interested parties that want licences more than I realised um, all around the place. Um, that's not to say we're going to have a 2010 competition that's just not feasible but the likelihood of us expanding to a nine or ten team competition is likely so uh, that's definitely there and then you know probably short and medium term is that connection to grassroots and really getting back out in the community and linking back in with the fans and making that a real priority for us so and uh what did you say what are my what are the impediments um there are a lot (laughs) (laughs) um look the reality of it is uh Resource is always a big one, so financial and and people. And one of the great things about the WNBL being part of Basketball Australia is that there is a project team that works on the WNBL. There are about 12 people that work on the WNBL, 12, I suppose, permanent-ish people that work on the WNBL. Um, They have other roles and responsibility, but they do work on that. And so they cover off things like marketing, operations, communications, media, legal, all sorts of things. So... There is a great group of people and a really committed group of people, but also they have other responsibilities as part of Basketball Australia too. So I'm actually the only sole employee whose role is solely the WNBL. Everybody else on that project team has other responsibilities within Basketball Australia. I would love for them all to be solely working with me and 100% with the WNBL. And, look, that's that's kind of where I think it needs to get to. It needs some more dedicated resources in terms of personnel. Um, so that is a challenge and that's something I'm working on internally at the moment. And also just look, the bottom line is, as you said, just inside, it's, I mean, it's a business, but it's a business with the goal of, you know, presenting this incredible league and the teams and athletes that are part of it. And, it, you know, businesses don't run on nothing. They need funds to run. So commercially is a, is a challenge in terms of bringing in new sponsors um, and driving that commercial growth and what, what that looks like in the short, medium and long term is uh, not concerning but is certainly a challenge and could be an impediment to, you know, some of the other things that we spoke about as well. Yeah, because what, we, what we've got to sell is actually really awesome product. Mm-hmm. A league, the standard of our league, you know, oh, I can't say completely unbiased, but, I mean, we know the standard of the league is very high, very competitive. I feel like this last season, I really enjoyed this last season mm-hmm. because I feel like, I mean, obviously with the ups and downs of games being moved and COVID and blah, blah. 
Yeah. On the whole, I felt like the season was like really high quality. It was very competitive. I feel like the length of the season was really well measured because I think you do run the risk sometimes of seasons going too long and get mm. boring. Um, I guess using the NBL as an example, it is a longer season. There are more teams. But at this point of the season in the in the NBL, there's a definite top four and bottom yeah. four. And when you see the the teams, the top and the bottom playing, like I don't I don't need to see another Cairns game for the rest of the year. But WNBL last season, it wasn't like that at all. Every game was competitive. Every game was unpredictable. Yeah. There were upsets. Yeah. Whether that meant an underdog team beating a top team, whether that meant a top team um, getting smashed by another top team, it was. Always entertaining. And so it's like we've got the gold nugget. Now we've just got to go and sell it to the right person. Yeah. And there was some yeah. great there was some great storylines during this this season as well. I think, you know, one of the standout storylines was Bendigo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at the beginning of the season, they were pretty much written off by everybody. Yeah. And yet by the end of the season, if it had gone an extra few rounds, yep. there was a possibility that they would have made that final yeah. four. And so it's storylines like that as well, which is which is really engaging for fans to be able to go, are they going to make it? It's like when you look at the NBL and the jack jumpers. It's like, you know, first season in, look at where they've got to. And that's the sort of stuff that I, I don't think gets picked up enough or gets gets distributed enough to people to sort of think about the stories rather than just the results. Yeah, I think you're right and you're right that so for those of us that kind of watch all the games and are across it, we're aware of that. I think Bendigo is a great story, you know, the breakout-ish season of Emily Maley who I just went along to watch some Bendigo games just so I could see her play in person because she was just absolutely phenomenal to watch. Um, And then, you know, breakout seasons of the likes of Steph Reed who, again, unless you're right in the basketball, you're probably not getting that insight. And these are the stories we need to share. You're absolutely right. And then even, you know, going back a bit, Kelly Wilson hitting 400 games. I mean, that just doesn't happen for anywhere in the whole world. And I know this was pre-my coming to to the WNBL, but I know they worked really hard around coverage of that. And even then, and Canberra Capitals do a great job of their media, their Canberra coverage in their Mm. region is phenomenal. But even getting it more broadly than that was hard. And how? Because that is just an incredible feat of any athlete in any sport. And, uh, yeah, it's frustrating at times. But you're right. There's The quality was absolutely just sensational. I went to Perth for game two of the grand final and that game two between Perth and Melbourne, which was at the point in the end, was some of the best basketball I've seen in person live in a very, very long time. It was just high quality all over the court and, you know, as a basketball fan, just you just that's what you want to show people and go, this is what we have. It's amazing. Get behind it. It was one of those games. It has to be one of the top five best games of the league's history. The other, one, the other game that really immediately comes to mind to me that's an iconic game in the league's history was when the AIS won the grand final. Yes. Um, but that also was a, a sentimental thing for me because I was like a tween at the time. Yeah. Hoop dreams of making the AIS. So I was like, oh, my God, they won. Like, yeah. Iconic. Um, but I really like as well that you – the thoughts you shared about improving game day and the professionalism of game day and kind of trying to implement or uh, some strategies or kind of ensuring that all the clubs in terms of the level of professionalism is consistent across the leagues and the venues because even you're probably across it. Uh, we, we spoke to Justin Nelson last week and we, we oh, yeah. 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 Um, and yeah. we started to talk about how the how New Zealand are going to roll out their brand new looking uh, women's professional league over there. When we're having a chat with him, we don't know anything. It's a brand new league. We know perhaps like the teams. We don't yeah. know the full rosters. We don't know the whole ins and outs, but just how they have marketed uh, the, the standard of their marketing, their graphic design, the way that they're drip feeding mm. the information has already got us hooked. So, yeah. yeah, like those kinds of things in terms of digital platforms, game day experience, the fan buy in, just having that hype and that that real cool kind of swag sense around it um, is something that I would like to see the WNBL kind of explore a bit further. Yeah, ditto. Um, Justin <laughs> is like 
smile genius. He was my predecessor at the Boomers yeah. and it was just phenomenal. And I caught up with him last week too um, to pick his brain about all things New Zealand WNBL because he's just a guy with great ideas and great implementation. And, um, yeah, I definitely have stolen a few things off him. So watch this oh, Excellent. He gives it away for free. I know, I know. In that podcast recording, where I was like, "You like you should be charging people." Like I know, as a WhatsApp, like are you just giving us all of your genius? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, it was. It's amazing to see what they've done in terms of turning around the WNBL in New Zealand. It's um, a complete change of direction and. The enthusiasm that he had for it was just, it was infectious. You know, I mean, we kind of came across the changes when we talked to somebody from New Zealand, from Auckland, uh, in a previous podcast. And as we followed it along, getting along with the journey that they've got, it's really amazing. It's like there's so much that we could learn to assist us take the WNBL to the next level. But I think one of the issues that we've got that they don't have is that there's a lot of traffic in the same period of time that the WNBL season is on. And there's so many other sports either taking space at the beginning of the season, taking space at the end of the season, which is worse. And then there's all this other stuff that's competing for eyeballs in the middle as, as well. So the need to be able to cut through that noise becomes even more critical. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you would have seen with the WNBL Grand Final Game 3, there was the AFL Grand Final and the Formula 1 on that weekend. I mean, Jesus, it couldn't have been at a worse time in terms of media. But, anyway, um, yeah, I agree. And, look, you know, we need to learn off what other people are doing. Sometimes it's just real simple things you can do to make improvements and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Justin is very creative in his thought process. But one of the things I have admired about him for a long time is he's very innovative as well. So it's never about just sitting on what you've got it's actually about doing something different so one you know he and I were having a bit of a throw around last week about some rule changes or do we implement a super shot and you know kind of, you know crazy kind of stuff but it is a bit about not doing same same we can't just do same same because we just will keep growing at that same pace and not getting any new interest outside of those that are already interested in our game so um, I love what he's doing over there in New Zealand. We'll follow that the New Zealand WNBL, of course, to see how they roll out and how they do things. But interesting, yeah, the window in which we play the WNBL is a is a big, um, I suppose, talking point and factor at the moment when we're talking to broadcasters as well. They don't want us to run into AFLWs and Formula Ones, of course, because they want to maximise the broadcast of the league as well. So how we manage that moving forward, shuffle forward back not sure obviously we work around the WNBA season that's a really important factor so we have those incredible athletes that come out and play here um and then there's always as you guys know the FIBA windows that bloody mm. stick right in the middle of our WNBL season at various times which are always a challenge to work around and you know kind of work through or you know break or whatever we do there so working through that season structure and season window at the moment in conjunction with clubs and broadcasters is also kind of something that's very front of mind and very on the table right now. Okay. One last thing I want to touch on, and we we heard a lot about this when Kayla came on to the, the podcast uh, earlier on in this season, the whole issue with the hair rules. Now, I get, you know, things are constantly changing, but I suppose what it did identify is that the ability to stay across these rules and the impact that it had, it can be quite significant. What sort of steps have been taken so that this sort of thing doesn't happen going forward to stay on top of it? Because, look, to be honest, I didn't know that that rule had changed either. So, again, this is – I know communication is kind of like the quick answer, but how do we manage it? Uh, so, again, I was on the other side of the fence when, when this all kind mm. of, you know, happened, I suppose, as an incident. But, you know, it's a really unfortunate thing that happened and it shouldn't have happened, it shouldn't have occurred. And, you know, what you're alluding to, Paul, is the, the rule about braids from FIBA, which is not playing with hair and braids or in a plait. And, well, I remember it from a kid. I remember kids being pulled up with plaits and whatever else saying, take it out or pop your hair in a bun or whatever that is. So it was a rule at some point. I don't know how long ago. Um, So 
you know, was shared from Basketball Australia um, that that was a rule. Um, it subsequently turned out that the rule had stopped or had ceased being a rule, I think, a couple of years ago, So, which is, you know, not great. Um, and so certainly the athletes that were affected at the Boomers and probably some in other teams, um, you know, felt really rightly so offended and deeply upset and, and felt um, that it was um, insensitive towards them um, and they had every right to feel that way and um, certainly as a club from the boomers perspective we were very supportive of the way they felt and you know certainly for again I was on the other side but you know we communicated this to Basketball Australia at the time I know they spoke with those athletes they um, I think at the time you know certainly tried to explain some of it which wasn't very well received and, and I can understand why but then in the end kind of got to the point of you know, giving them an apology both verbally and in writing, getting to the point of saying then actually finding out that rule wasn't a rule, um, removing it immediately from the WNBL um, and other BA basketball competitions. So, look, I suppose it shouldn't have happened and it's one of those things that is, I'm going to say, unfortunate for everybody involved that it shouldn't have happened because it caused a lot of grief to a lot of people that, you know, wasn't necessary. Um, but it certainly did highlight some things internally at Basketball Australia. Um, so a couple of those things are Diversity and Inclusion Committee, um, which I'm now part of since I've joined as well. Um, and that committee is responsible for a lot of things, but it, it is um, part of that is about recognising and actioning things within Basketball Australia to improve our diversity and inclusion, you know, just to put it in a you know summary. Um, so there's, there's definitely work going on internally from that side. Um, there's definitely now a direct link with FIBA regularly to confirm any rule changes. So that's an operational um, element that's occurred within BA as well. Um, and they're, you know, they're probably the two main things. I think it is a, it's something that has been good in terms of raising awareness. I think the athletes from the Boomers, particularly Tiffany Mitchell, and her response to that has been really quite powerful in terms of raising awareness of racism in sport more broadly. Um, so it's been, it's been really interesting. And I don't think, I don't think we've seen the last of it in terms of the message around awareness of racism issues or diversity issues or inclusion issues. Um, I think that incident has certainly brought it to the forefront not only for basketball Australia but for basketball in general as a sport and I think that can only be a good thing and I think we'll see I think we'll see more on that as time progresses because I think it is important to keep it at at the front um, for everybody in the sport because it's not the only issue that's ever existed in this space And and I do think it's important that we continue to you know bring awareness to these things. We covered a lot of important and heavy content uh, in the episode and honestly thank you for being so um, forthcoming with a lot of things as well and I know that we probably put you through the gauntlet of, of a couple <laughs> of tricky questions. Uh, I was going to say Paul how would you feel about ending on like a fun random question to kind of end on a light note? Sure let's do that. Maybe yeah. not guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay what is the movie character? that you most associate yourself with? Oh, my God. The first one that springs to mind is Bridget Jones. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just that woman in her 40s who loves a glass of wine, who's never quite fully put together, finds herself in awkward situations. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and the other random question I thought of was uh, when you were growing up as a kid, what was the most random dream job that you had thought of? So, for example, when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and be an ice cream and chip taste tester. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Mine was a bank teller, and I don't know why because I liked the idea of counting people's money and, and processing checks, <laughs> which is very random. <laughs> I don't even think bank tellers exist these days, do they? It's a very responsible and mature yeah. <laughs> as a child to aspire to be a bank teller. <laughs> Big aspirations as a child. Yeah. <laughs> Christy, I really want to thank you for coming back to the show. It's great to have you on. It's great to talk about these things. I hope you don't feel like you got beaten about too much. 
Um, Not as much as brown body, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> Look, we obviously are going to want to touch base with you as we get closer to the season, uh, the upcoming season, to see how things are going. And good luck with all your plans for the WNBL. I know I'm really excited. I'm sure Jacinta's excited for after what we've heard. Can't wait to see how things are going to pan out. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Look, you know, last time we spoke, Paul, I said we could just chat all day because there's yeah. so much to talk about and there is more than happy to chat at any time. I'm, you know, I really do want to be out there and talking more about the WNBL and sharing as much information as I possibly can. So appreciate you having me on the show today and happy to come back at another time. Great. Thanks so much, Christy Collier-Hill, for joining us on Shooting the Breeze. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.